Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, who will ever forget that moment when they first saw that really buff, super greased-up saxophone player on the boardwalk performing this song, I still believe, in that classic 1987 movie, The Lost Boys. If you're of a certain age, like me, that is one of the most indelible, iconic images of the entire decade. That guy is named Tim Capello, and he is this week's guest. And I'm so excited for you to hear this because if you look at him, you probably would assume that he's a certain kind of guy. He's rough and he's aggressive. He's not like that at all. He is the sweetest, gentlest, funniest sweetheart of a man you will ever know. I came into this, you know, fully prepared with this very formal list of questions that I wanted to go down. And he took me on tangents that were way more interesting and entertaining than anything I could have dreamed up. I don't know if you know this, but his primary gig for a long time was playing with Tina Turner. We talk about that. We talk about a lot of his other collaborations too, like Peter Gabriel, Carly Simon. In the early days, back in the 70s, when Billy Crystal was starting out as a struggling comedian, Tim would travel around and be his piano player, if you can believe that. So we talk about all that. We talk about why he never had a solo career, and it's really hilarious actually. We talk about what it felt like to be parodied on Saturday Night Live by John Hamm recently when he was Sergio the Sexy Sax Man. A lot to unpack here. He's such a funny guy. Unfortunately, the sound quality isn't ideal. You can still make it out, but it's not quite as to the level that I would have liked for it to be. But it's fine. I hope you'll like it. He called me from his home in New York City. Well, Tim, I first of all, this is—I'm kind of starstruck talking to you of all people because, of course, I was one of those kids that was the perfect age when I saw the Lost Boys, saw it in the theater, blown away by not just you but the entire soundtrack. I'm kind of a soundtrack junkie, especially of the '80s because that's when I grew up. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, the, tell me, your, tell me your top five. Oh boy, I, I can't believe you just asked that. So my favorite soundtrack of all time. Is from the movie Some Kind of Wonderful, which was one of those John Hughes movies. Do you remember it? Pretty in Pink and Ferris Bueller and Breakfast Club. Sure. So that is my favorite soundtrack of all time. The Lost Boys is my number two favorite soundtrack of all time. And uh, I really love the soundtrack to Singles, which was that movie in the 90s, kind of about grunge in Seattle. Yes. Um, another one of my favorites is The Mac. You remember that old uh, black exploitation sure. movie? With, sure, sure, I've seen that movie, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So Willie Hutch for the music for The Mac. That's one of my favorite soundtracks ever. You're with my wife on that one. That's one of her favorites. Really? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. She's a real scholar on uh, old R&B. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think, uh, I think growing up in the 80s, the... 80s alternative music and 70s R&B and funk, those are my two absolute favorite genres of music, I think. I would say that's two great choices, man. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So I, uh, I want to know, I mean, I know that you've done more than just The Lost Boys, but let's tell that story first, and then I want to get into a lot of the other stuff that you've done in your career. But um, mm -hmm. I remember going to the mall 
the movie theater I saw that movie in was in a mall, and as soon as it was over, I walked over to Musicland and bought the cassette with my allowance and play it to death and still play it to death. And so... Um, you still have your original cassette? No. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I don't know what to do with my cassettes. I ended up getting rid of them because there's nothing to play them on anymore, you know? <laughs> my wife has a um, one of those sort of old-fashioned things where it's got... She has an incredible 45 collection and, and cassettes and stuff. So we have one of those things that has cassettes in it and does plays mm. 45s and albums so uh, we kind of have it uh covered so i yeah I mean, there's there's some that she can't <laughs> she even likes that click in the eight track she she actually goes oh no i really like that i said you, you really she said yeah that's that's the way i heard it first so i sure. think that the click is part of the album <laughs> that's true there, I don't know about you, but there are songs that I hear that I had the vinyl of when I was a kid, and wherever there was a scratch, it still jerks me. to. Uh, I, it feels strange to hear a song without the skip that I'm used to hearing from my vinyl. You know what I mean? I, uh, I had an old Donny Hathaway album called Extensions of a Man. You know that song? <laughs> it's got love, love, love on it. Yeah. And, uh, right? And it's got, um, oh, it's a great song. What a great record. And in one of the tunes, I think it was Flying Easy. Okay. Um, there was, there was there, I, it had a skip. And so for the rest of my life, that's the one that happened. It's just so funny. I hadn't thought about that in ages. Isn't that funny? Really We're just programmed, and our nostalgia wants to just <laughs> hang on to these memories, you know? Oh, oh man. That's, That's great. Really good well, cool. Okay, so tell me the tell me the Lost Boys story, and then I want to get into everything else. From what I understand, you were playing with Tina Turner, and she sort of encouraged you to maybe try some acting, and something happened, and I think you went out for a part in Beverly Hills Cop 2 or something and didn't get it. Tell me the um, story. Well, no, she she didn't encourage me, but, you know, she, she was kind of, the, you know, one of the queens of MTV at the time. Sure, totally. And I was just really lucky, you know, because before I got the job with her, I was bouncing in a bar. Really? Yeah, a little neighborhood tough. Neighborhood. You were you were a bouncer before that. I was a bouncer just before I joined Tina's band. Oh my god! At a little neighborhood bar on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, when the Upper West Side of Manhattan was a crappy place to be. Oh, uh huh. When it was a dangerous place to be, it was called Tappacake. Local part, just lo- local, local sort of hoods. Uh, mafia-run small place with a jukebox. And I had a real talent for putting my arm around a drunk and walking them out <laughs> and having them still be smiling. That was, uh-huh. it was uh-huh. this guy, Sal, tiny little guy, probably could have kicked the living crap out of me at any second. He was so strong, and he was so... <laughs> this guy was tough. And he just said... The thing about this gig is your main objective is to find out a way to let 
a belligerent person walk out mm. by themselves. <laughs> That's what I was doing. Wow. Yeah. So you, now you had this is after Peter Gabriel, and this is after David Werner and Garland Jeffries and the people. I'm going by your resume that I'm looking at on AllMusic.com mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to compensate or to also continue to pay the bills, which is something we talk about in this podcast, and we'll get to yeah. more of that later. But you're still bouncing and getting the occasional saxophone gig wherever you can get it. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, this was in the 70s. You could actually get some session work. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could play on people's records, and that would hold me over for a little while. And then, uh, and stuff like that. And, and, the, and the, this was, uh, you know, it was a bad time for me because after I did Eric Carmen, mm. and then that got canned he he kind of freaked out and and, and that got cut short and yep. then went to garland jeffries which was a, that was a really fun tour right had really great larry hoppin was in that band right remember larry nice. hoppin uh actually both hoppin brothers lance, lance and larry and jerry Murata. and um oh jerry Murata, sure right and then jerry yep. got me Jerry got me in Peter Gabriel's Wow. Once I was the credit to my credit card. Spent what I hadn't got. Wasn't hard. No trust in judgment. No trust in money. had left Garland to go to Peter and then uh, and and got me an audition for that and then Mike Maneri you know Mike Maneri vibes player great jazz vibes player I probably do that name doesn't ring a bell but I'm sure I'd know him if I heard his stuff great okay I mean wow what a band Carly's band was oh sure sure yep Carly 1987 so Warren mm-hmm. Bernhardt, Omar Hakim. Oh, yeah, sure. I know that name. His first gig ever. He was 17 years old. Oh, wow. Isn't that something? Yeah. And, uh, and Mike Maneri was leading the band. Sid McGinnis from, he was in Peter Gabriel's band, and he was also... David uh, Letterman, guitar player. That's right. Yeah. But, yep, and Sid was in Peter's band, too. So, so uh, and then I had this... Project uh, called the Ken Dolls.
good record. Okay. You know, Garland. He's one of those people whose name I know, and I and I probably know songs, but I've never fully investigated his whole canon. And I know I need to. I, it's always on my to do list, and I just haven't done it yet. You know what? Just listen to an album called Ghost Rider. Yeah, that's the one, isn't it? That's yeah. The one. That's really the one. I mean, I'm not saying all the others. No, of course, but that's supposedly the hallmark. I know what you mean. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and you know, a lot of people got sort of messed up by attaching themselves into the 70s to these great studio musicians like, you know, David Spinoza, who produced uh-huh. right. And, um, you know, like, uh, say, Phoebe, right? Phoebe Snow. Sure. You know, started out in a very sort of pure way, right, and then became sort of surrounded herself with a lot of these, you know, heavy session guys who are so wonderful, and the sounds that they make just draw you in. Yeah. And it has screwed people up, I think, right. especially in the 70s, you know, where, yeah. where, where people would say, oh, now he got slick, now mm-hmm. this guy got mm-hmm. slick, you know, that... And and that was the that was the curse, right? You sounded yeah. too, you know, your your music sounded too good and too right. well performed. You know? So, um, <clears throat> but I'm sorry, I'm losing my. I did. I no, did, that's okay. I, these I, are fascinating the memories, stories. These all are great. These memories start coming up, and I just sure. Um, <laughs> well, I yeah. love it. This is what it's all about: is to hear these rock and roll stories. <laughs> I and love David it. Frank and I play in a in a uh, a reggae jazz band called Island Head together. Now you do, or you did yeah. back then? No, really? really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's good. Well, I tell I I love you both. Tell him he <laughs> doesn't remember me. I'm sure, but tell him hello because I think he's a genius. I sure will. I'm sorry. Oh, so, uh, pull me back on track here. Okay, so we were talking about basically I, I, <laughs> the original question was tell me the Lost Boys story, <laughs> but this is even this is fascinating too. So tell me the Lost Boys story so we can get back to all these other anecdotes because right. this is great. Right. You had said you had said because because um, of of how I started getting sort of people would call to do you know, li- little film parts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, somebody just called me from whatever it was, Triad Agency or William Marshall, one of those big agencies, and said, oh, you know, we're starting a musician section, so, you know, maybe mm-hmm. we can get you some parts. And so I just started going out on all these auditions. And, you know, this, this, there's a lot of real interesting coincidences in this because I, I, it wasn't Beverly Hills Cop. I, I think I said that to somebody and I was wrong. It oh. was actually Lethal Weapon, the original. Oh, sure. Who was auditioning for the Gary Busey part. He was the you bad know, guy. So you yeah. were auditioning to be the bad guy in Lethal Weapon? You know what? About, you know, I never did any of these things, except for on Miami Vice, where I right. played a bad guy. But every, I mean, for the few parts I got, I was so lucky to do things like Tap with Gregory Hines. And I love that movie, yeah. Things that were like musical and, and good movies, because everything I went for 
was a psychotic uh, mass murderer and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it didn't give me a lot of confidence in my people. Yeah. What are we going to so, do with this stocky, long-haired, sexy sax well, man? We'll make him the bad guy. You know, there must have been so. I remember once, this was hysterical. It, it, there, there was a casting lady named, I think, she's still big, I think. I see her name on films. Victoria Thomas. Oh, and okay. So embarrassed because, what did she have me? She had me, what, 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 Masters of the Universe or something. Really? Science fiction thing with the... I, I, right, there was a thing called Masters of the Universe. Yeah, that? yeah. Dolph Lundgren played He-Man, and ah, yeah, exactly. So I didn't know what it was, but I went in, and they they were always asking me to do things that I've just never done in sure. my life. You know, sure. you know, scream as hard as you roar, and then mm-hmm. out this sofa, and you know, and I just didn't. I, it was so embarrassing. Yeah, and and. They, all these things always were embarrassing, but they always seem to lead to the thing that I'm really happy I did. And and so mm-hmm. this it's an interesting story for two two reasons. Because when I was going to the audition, and and I swear I'm not kidding about this, when I was going to the audition for Lethal Weapon, I went, pulled into the parking lot and I was a little late. Because I heard, I was sitting in the car, and I had to hear the end of I Still Bleed by the call. It was, oh. playing, it was playing on the, I swear it sounds like. No. It Wait. sounds like I'm looking it up. So you um, hear this song on the radio. You, have, you don't even have the part in, in Lost Boys or know that that's the song that they're going to sing. You're just taken by the song in the car that day? And was late. I was a couple of minutes late because I You're had you done that, right? You have to stay, whether it's something they're saying on the radio or some song. You sure. And yeah, back was, in the day. Right? Yeah. It was pretty intense. I was like, wow. I remember writing it down, and I bought the cassette in, you know, in the in the time before it. When 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 um, Joel Schumacher you know proposed that this was the song I was going to sing, so I so what happened was so I'm there and, and I do really shit. I, I mean I really remember, you know, trying to have one of these voices like uh, like I was very calm, but I was menacing underneath, and it was. It's just as bad as I did it this time. Right. <laughs> I was trying to pretend like by speaking very quietly. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I would portray some sort of menacing. And, you know, I, I could just see it was not going well. So I did it, and I, and I went out, and I knew I didn't get it. And, and I met a guy that was sitting down, might have even been before the actual audition. But I'm sitting there in the waiting room, and a guy comes up to me. You know, this this would be an interesting guy for you to, because he just has the best stories ever. Really? It's a 
publisher, and he just walked. He was he was a guy that invented the job of executive music director on. Film. Oh my gosh, that's like my you dream. Know what his first one was. Who? You what? know what his first one was? And this no. was what started. And when I say it, you're going to go. Of course, that was the first film that ever had. You know this sort of thing where right. the soundtrack became this like cutting edge greatest music around, and they put right. it all in films. And this was he was a teenager. This was his first thing ever, and and he just knew because he loved rock music, and sure. he knew that this film was great, and it could. He, he said to me, under no circumstances. Could I let Lalo Schifrin anywhere near? <laughs> yes, great imitation of Lalo Schifrin, and so he's and and that film with Easy Rider. Of course, sure. Yep. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yep. He was in that place at the time, yep. and he, he by doing that, he invented the yep. job. Changed everything. You know, being a real a soundtrack freak, you yeah. may even know his name. Joel who is Sill. who is it? Joel Sill. I've seen that name on yeah. movie credits. Go back into your you know, executive music producer. He was also he comes from his father uh, is a, a ran Jobet over at Motown for years. Comes oh, from wow. a family. His Brother is Chuck K from A and M Records. Okay, okay. These guys are all, and you know, and really businessmen, but really great ears. I mean, he was my producer for a while, and I would go to him and say, "Is this bridge okay?" Like he was like uh, an editor on a novel. Sure, sure. So he walks in, never met him before, never saw him, didn't know who he was. He just peeked his head around a corner. You you play with Tina. Come here, he said to me. Come here. I'm, I'm, I, there's somebody I want you to meet. And he walked me down the Warner Brothers Hall there, and uh, there was Joel Schumacher sitting behind me. No the way. No way. Me on the wall. Why is there so, a picture of you on the wall? You know, I, tell me about it. What? So, so in Joel Schumacher's office, there's a picture of you on the wall? Yeah, I had recently done a full-page picture that is really freaky and weird. They had, like, big rings on my nipples. I was wearing, like, a, some sort of crazy, like, like somewhere between, like, a, uh, like, like leather straps of a skirt... It was one of these crazy. I can't even remember, but it was for. Remember Andy Warhol's? Yeah, um, of course. Magazine interview. Interview, sure. Right. It was a large format. Yeah, um, I remember. Right, paper, like almost like paper. It wasn't really exactly. even like a magazine. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, it was like construction that, paper, picture, practically. What's you that? had a picture, and it was almost like construction paper, but you exactly. had. A picture in there? Were you, were you a model or something? 
They just, it was again from the Tina thing, oh, we want oh. to do a little thing and then, uh, and, and, and that was it. And then that picture was above Joel Sills, no I mean, um, uh, Joel Schumacher's head um, behind his desk. Oh, my gosh. He probably oh. has had the biggest crush on you. So it's no wonder you got the job because he, you come in and he sees this guy that he's been fetishizing, and uh, of course he's going to give you the part. That's well, incredible. I said, you know, when I saw my picture behind his desk, I said, I, whatever he's going to offer me, I have a feeling this isn't really an audition. I have a feeling I got this. I'm doing this in the bag, pretty much. Uh, oh, but, man. You know, Joel was always doing that kind of thing. Like, he he was always doing that kind of thing. He just was always looking, to, maybe I can get this person together with that person. That might yeah. be a good combination. And nine times out of ten, there was no monetary reward for him at all. Okay. You know what I mean? I don't think Joel made a dime off of my wow. being in the long place. He just yeah. loved love when 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 I was going to do the thing with uh, I mean, you know getting that part in tap he just when Gregory Hines was coming to LA Joel just had me sit with like my horn and a drum machine and a keyboard and just to play some grooves for Gregory so he could dance around a little bit uh-huh wow and it had no real meaning or anything yeah. he just had me there and then while I was there and they were showing some stuff and then Gregory would say, oh, yeah, I like that beat. Let's do something with that. He'd dance around to that a little bit. It was like sort of an easy way for him to start thinking about how he wanted to dance. Wow. And, you know, the director came in and saw me getting very excited about what we were doing and that stuff. And he, and he said, oh. And, and that's just the, the kind of thing that Joel could always see. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Now, yeah. So tell me again, so who picked I Still Believe? Did you come in saying, I know this great song that I just heard by the call? Can I do no. that? Or did someone tell you to do it? Nope. nope. Joel Schumacher just said, this is the song I want you to do. And, oh, man. And, and I had heard. I don't know this firsthand. But I had heard that he wanted the call to do it in the movie, and they turned him down. Really? Yeah. Wow. That, but, that, but I'm just getting Well, that worked out, like, right? Hearing it. Hearing it. From um, yeah, somebody that they didn't. There want might to. be a rumor. Okay. So, wow. So I don't know if that's the case, but I I had heard that, and so that's what he sent me. I said, Oh yeah, I know this song. I love this song. That's great. Sure. That's really that's very cool. I would love to do this, but he still gave me the option. He said, I also want you to go away and write a song. Okay. And so if we can get something very personal to you that you might like. Really? So I went, I wrote a song with, uh, you know, Jim Krieger is from Rod Stewart's band. I know a that long name. Time, right, longtime guitar player in Rod's band. And, okay. Um, and, and, and we got together and we wrote something, and it just sounded like a song that uh, somebody wrote because somebody asked him to write a song, you know, like oh, a movie. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah kind of under duress. It's not coming straight it, from your heart. No, no, no way. Yeah, okay. No, no, close. The, the best thing that ever happened to me is that they didn't uh, yeah. choose them. 
you know, well, you know I, I, um, I don't remember it at all, but but it's yeah. probably motorcycle somewhere <laughs> in the first, you know. Real yeah. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love the call and I love uh, the original, but this is one of the few times, in my opinion, where the cover is better than the original. Can't you hear the parade? 
somebody's calling my name They're on the sidewalk and all the people turn their heads to see Ah, mama, am I holding on to the wings of a prayer? Waiting for Rosie, tell the I think she cares Ah, oh, dancing in the streets in Little Lily Stephen Bishop, are you serious? He's one of your favorites. That first album, Careless. Yes, I just bought that recently for the first time. No, you're kidding me. I did. Someone gave me an iTunes gift card, and I bought that. (laughs) I'm serious. Just a couple months ago. Total. I'm. I've run into another total creep like myself. (laughs) Right. What? He's amazing. What could be less cool than liking Stephen Bishop? Well, I, oh, but that's I what makes it cool. He's great. <laughs> oh, such a gorgeous voice, right? Oh, such a gorgeous best. voice. And, you know, just a beautiful melodic sense. Tunes yes. like Little Italy and yes. When I Was in Love. I just, it's crazy. I think that guy is so wonderful. I do, too. I love him. I've been wanting to get him on here, too. So, you know, it, it, it was kind of interesting cause for, um, because I remember I did, a, I did an interview in, with Ro- in Rolling Stone, you know, about this time. And they said, oh, well, you know, what's, what, what's this thing that you want to do? You know, what's your next thing? Yeah. Otherwise, we can't put you in a magazine if you got nothing that's coming up. Right, right. So I said, geez, I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you something, but I, I just, I really love very romantic, you know, uh, quiet music. Yeah. And I, I don't really see, you know, how I'm going to make a, an album called uh, Till of the Hun Place for Lovers Only. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so if you had, so I'm guessing, here's what I'm envisioning. Someone comes to you, you're hot, right? Because you've got this cameo in this hot movie. Everyone knows who you are, and they probably think, we can market this guy. Let's let's give him some dough so he can go make a solo album. And you want to make a Quiet Storm kind of album, but I'm sure they would have wanted you to make, I still believe, part two, three, and four, well, right? Of course. Any, and, and, you know, Joel was my publisher, right? Joel Sill was my publisher. Uh-huh. He got me a publishing deal over at Warner Brothers, so I was trying to develop this. And I just couldn't do it. As yeah. I would write songs that were, you know what? When this is over, I'm going to send you one. Oh, I would love it. Do you mind it's if we called, play a little bit of it? Oh, sure. It's called Quattro okay. de Mai. Quattro de Mai. 
the late red sun I can almost smell the sea I can almost hear the guns Oh, out in a border town I took my shade This was the song that got me dropped. Oh, it got you dropped? Because yeah. <laughs> they were like, oh, this is what this guy's really about? This isn't what we had in mind? You know, obviously, anybody with half an IQ would go, divide Tina Turner by the Lost Boys, mix those two together, and that's your sound, idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no you kidding, know, I mean, which is a winning that, sound for right then, right? And, it, you know, it just, who would be so stupid as to not do that? You're talking to them. (laughs) I was going to say, apparently you. You're the one. (laughs) You know, because, you know, I was recently, I I just played a a gig with um, The Darkness. The Darkness? The band, The Darkness, right? I love The Darkness. Can't explain all the feelings that you're making me feel. In overdrive and you're behind the steering wheel Touching you Played with them? Yes, I just played with them at Irving Plaza. And wow. Yeah, and it was such a ball. I love these guys so I do too. much. I do, do too. too. I love oh. them. Love them. I just saw them recently too. I love them. I, I don't think enough I, people I, understand what they're doing and why what they're doing is very cool. And it's not a joke. They're, 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 they're legit. You know what I mean? Not only are they... Can they rock? But they're great songwriters too. They've got it. They you know, are incredible songwriters. You know, and they are masters, like real masters of the subtleties of the half joke. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the half half a joke. It's right. like you're never really sure. You know, and and it's it's so fun. The whole thing is totally summed up. I heard a. Um, an interview. This was Justin, and he mm-hmm. said, "They said, what do you what do you think about when you write a song?" He said, "Well, the thing about it is, it it has to come from so deep in my soul. It, it has mm-hmm. to be a total expression of myself, you know, as an entity and a human being. And then it has to sound exactly like seventies rock." <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> If it has those two things, it's yep. And and I never got that. I never got that. You know, right. I, I, you know, David Bowie has that famous quote: "It's not who does it first; it's who does it second mm-hmm. that matters." You know, in, if I go back to jazz, 
Lenny Tristano was the original, and then, say, George Searing or Dave Brubeck or the guys that stole from him right. were, were the guys who were very successful, right? So it's basically who does it second. One yeah. person sort of paves the way, right? And we all have those people that we love because sure. they're so obscure because all they really cared about was being totally themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And I think of Lenny like that. And of course I think of the two great Captain Beefheart records, Trout Masters mm-hmm. and Lick My Decals Off, as being that's it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So after that you get Tom Waits and you get the White Stripes and you get the people that love them that then right. go on to do, you know, Variations uh, of what variations came first. Of that. Yeah. But I Let's take away all the stuff that's difficult and can clear yep. the room, right? Yep, yep. And I always had that horrible bug in my ear that I didn't want to do. When it comes to writing, I will go out and be such a whore and play on anybody's record, you know, <laughs> playing sax or singing sure. ground vocals or do whatever. I'll do anything. Go out and tour. I don't care who it is. Yeah. And I can separate myself from that. But even if somebody comes to me and says, you know, we want you to sing this song and and be, you know, then do it. Uh Uh-huh. But when it comes to writing, if it couldn't be really honestly who, who I am, and be and not have to be tied down to any format or sound. Right, right. God forbid, you know, like your pectoral muscles, really? Are you supposed to dictate what kind of music you play? And paper full of his regards By incremental doses the sun begins to shine she's back in her own backyard shot by a lover shot by a lover felled by the fingers that had once gently touched her face The sound of your voice makes the pain go The warmth of your touch ignites And at the end of this gasoline rainbow Is a welcoming voice and a tunnel made of light. Hey, yeah. and this is all in the thing of like, I once went to Shep Gordon's house to, to, to you know, because he was interested. And, and, and he said, Oh, yeah, we'll send you to wrestling school and we'll what? have a ring on the stage. Oh, you know, yeah, you just gimmick I mean? it all up. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you, know, you don't want to be that guy. That, well, you sound like the that, perfect collaborator then, because you're happy to play anything with anyone, anywhere, as long as you're having a good time, because you know that whatever you would want to do on your own probably wouldn't be that commercial, and so I'd, you know, may as well just be successful and pay my bills supporting these guys who I respect. 
right? It does. You're exactly right. It doesn't hurt me at all. I don't even no. have a twinge. I don't even have a twinge of, of anything about it. You know, I wasn't a big Carly Simon fan before I played with it. And right. then after I did, I got a lot of respect for him. Sure. Uh, so many times it's been such a growing experience, you know. I didn't know who Eric Carmen was. I didn't know who the Raspberries were. You know, I was a Beefheart fan. So yeah. I, I and a jazz Warnett Coleman and all those guys. I was that was my thing. So right. I uh, I didn't know anything about that, and I was so glad that I uh, that I did those things. You know, because That's they amazing. really did show me. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you. I don't think I said anything. Did I say anything that you asked me to say? I don't. This is better. I don't even know. I, this is way better anyway. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> I love it just the way it is. So okay, but I do. Let me ask you a couple questions. Okay. Number one, you know, there's a period there where you did Lost Boys, and it's just a movie, and it's gone. And then suddenly, you know, maybe another generation passes, and like we were talking about earlier, that nostalgia kicks in. And now you're suddenly the guy from the movie, and the movie means a lot to people, and you're going to conventions or whatever. When did that start kicking in? You know what I mean? Yeah. About a year well, it ago. couldn't have been immediate, because there had to be time to let the movie go away and then build you know, back up in terms of you know, becoming right. iconic. That's right. And so now that I'm kind of the age of a lot of people that are into the movie, like the age of their grandfather. Yeah, yeah. So, right? So I don't know exactly what we're so It's been almost 30 years. Next year it'll be 30 years. Yeah. Uh, I always used to think that the formula was 20 years. About, I think it was for the, 20, the 25th, no, the 20th anniversary of the movie. No one had ever called me to do anything about it really um until the 20th anniversary and somebody said oh we're going to run the film on the boardwalk you know in santa cruz and we would love it if you would play it and at the time you know this whole like uh, working out thing Uh uh-huh sometimes i enjoy it and sometimes it's a real pain in the ass I believe it. I just don't want to do it. And I just let myself get skinny, and I cut my hair, and I just don't really, I'm just not feeling Uh huh. So at the time, that's what it was. And I said, you know, if I show up at like 175 pounds with (laughs) short hair and start playing this thing, uh, I don't think it's really going to get the reaction that you like. Right, right. (laughs) And then... And then uh, a guy named Eben Regard, he does, um, he does, uh, yeah, I guess I don't really think about how people could get in touch with me um, because this Facebook thing I have, I I think it was about a year almost that I've had it, but that's the first Facebook page I I ever had. Yeah. I, I don't really think about, you know. I and you don't seem even all that, particularly all that active on there. I don't yeah, know how often I mean, you're on there. It doesn't seem like a lot. No, no. I mean, I I, I got it because when this guy, Evan, uh, said, oh, you can do, you know, if you go with, uh, you could go do these conventions and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that, which I really love. And the payday's great and it's fun. Good. And I love playing the 
I love playing the song, uh, you know, for people and everything like sure. that. And, you know, it feels good to be 61 and still have my original head of hair. Yeah. And, you know, not be yeah. really obese. Yeah. No, you look great. And have the energy and still feel like I really want to do this and get very excited about it. Good, good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned I um, I had Gerard McMahon on here a few months ago. And oh, and yeah. he's, yeah, he had, you know, Cry Little Sister, that uh, another iconic song off that soundtrack. He's done a ton, so he still does a lot of movie and TV music and stuff like that. Yeah. But he'll he travels around doing concerts with like before special screenings of the movie. So some theater somewhere will you know pay to bring him out and maybe a star or two from the movie and make a night out of it. Put on a show, play sure. the movie, and he does tons of that. He does you know he's really successful with that kind of a thing. I wondered if you. It sounds like you get invitations like that once in a while. Would you do them no, more? I, I mean, what that, needs to happen? I got that one thing from from some people that were doing a screening. Like I said, uh, they were going to do a screening on the 20th anniversary on the boardwalk in Santa Cruz, and I I I said no, and yeah. and that was it. But I yeah, I mean, I'm kind of I, I just don't even think about it. Huh. You know what I mean? It's not it's not a part of my life until people yeah. like uh, this. The uh, the guy who does Mad Monster, Evan, he said, "Oh my God, you won't believe how hard it was to get in touch with you. I had to pay to find out if you were if this was your phone number." And <laughs> so, right. You know what I mean? I I I you know, unlike Gerard. You know, he's a songwriter and a movie guy, and he's really a writer who does his own thing. I'm like a side man. Yeah, yeah, I can tell that. I'm a trenches kind of guy. Yeah. So I, you know, just have friends and we play gigs. And I make my living by playing my horn under any circumstances. If I'm... In you know if I'm in a cod piece or I'm in a tuxedo, I'm, a, I'm in a I'm a saxophone player and I 
can go out and, and, and make a living yeah. that way. Good. And okay, that, so that's how you primarily make your living is people contact you wanting you to play with them, play a show, be on their record, whatever. Yeah, well, mostly just live gigs, you know. Really? Somebody's okay. Playing, somebody's playing at a club. If there's a, uh, you know, just anything you could imagine, private okay. parties, okay. Um, fundraisers, corporate events, you know. Sure, just okay. Part of and you make a decent living doing that? I mean, you're comfortable? You can spend a good life? Yeah, it's never been too bad. A, a lot of guys that I play, like, there are a lot of people that are sort of, in my um, in my position, uh, you know, here in New York, um, well, they're not in New York anymore, but, you know, guys that I was really tight with were the Conan O'Brien guys. Oh, sure. Uh-huh. Richie LaBamba, the trumpet yeah. player, has a group. And, like, everybody that has any sort of little name gets their little group where they play. So we'll, we'll do, you know, a bunch of gigs and we'll go around and do some corporate stuff and, and dance around and have a good time. So they're, they're good okay. friends of mine and we're always still, uh, cool. so it's just that kind of thing. Gigs, you know, no one would ever know anything about. And to tell you the honest to God, shoot, they pay so much better than the gigs that everybody knows about. Really? Wow. No, that's, that's the, that's the thing. Once you get into the world of, say, you know, like company things and big people, like right. rich people that are having weddings or a party sure. or all that kind of stuff, private gigs, like everybody that's everybody that does tours and stuff, when they come home, that's what they do. Interesting. Wow. And that's how a lot of us make our living. Now, are people hiring you because you're the sexy sax man from Lost Boys? Or are you oh, no. getting gigs oh, no. because of, I mean, what's the what's the pedigree there that people are looking out for? The, the, the pedigree at this point, because the, after that Saturday Night Live thing, then it really picked up a lot. I thought so. I was going to ask you about that. Thing. Yeah. Can you believe that, by the way? I mean, John Hamm, can you believe that happened to you? You probably didn't know about it. Who knows if you even watch Saturday Night Live, but you probably, I'm guessing, are getting like a million texts from friends that are like, <laughs> I'm watching a, a John Hamm from Mad Men parody you on Saturday Night Live right now. Was your mind blown? And what they were saying, it, it's really funny. It was kind of the opposite because – People were afraid to say anything. Oh, you might be offended would, or depressed or something. <laughs> they thought I would have been pissed. Oh, great! Yeah. Now I'm even more. Now the fact it was okay, it, it was bad enough that I had to be reduced to an obscure joke. Uh-huh. Now it has to be plastered all over. That's what they thought. I, what I thought it was so funny. I really thought it was great. <laughs> it's so great. A lot of people were like, "Oh, you saw it." As a oh, disaster. right. Like they got you know, to tiptoe around the issue with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, so, man. So, um, so, yes, actually it was the opposite. I think they were all behind my back. Sure. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> so can we, let me, I want to ask you a couple more questions about kind of the money side of things. Because yeah. one of the things that I think is really interesting is, 
people who, and I, I, again, I, I try to talk to a lot of people who have songs on soundtracks that I love. I mean, The Lost Boys is still, uh, that's still a very popular soundtrack. That movie still gets yep. played a lot. Now, you didn't yep. write the song. Do you, I'm guessing you get maybe some mechanical royalties here and there for it or not? Was that sort of I a, do. are they minuscule? Okay. I mean, no. you can be as no, specific there's, there's or as the, vague as you want. It, in terms of the in terms of royalties, there's still some of the bigger checks that I get. Good. Okay. After after all this time, um, you know, I'll just forget about it, and then I'll go out to the mailbox and go, Jesus Christ! <laughs> mailbox money, the best kind, right? And there's two of them. There's two of them. There's the other one from SAG. From yeah, for the for acting, right? For being for in the movie. Yep. We're acting in it, so it's they're, they're they they're sort of neck and neck, but it gets double. Yeah, so it's almost yeah. like I didn't write the song. I guess that's amazing. Good for you. Good for you, man. And then so I and then I saw your <laughs> you're selling like body oil, Sergio's sexy body oil, or something no, like that. I, ju- I, ju- I I when when they asked me to do this convention. I just thought about some cute little things because it's all oh, about okay. having my little products and and, sure. and stuff that can fill up at the table and be sort of funny and cute and stuff. So yeah. I'm um so I have my Sergio Saxy body oil. <laughs> I have you know posters that a, a, a really great artist named Chris Ott has done me some so many solids. He made a wonderful little dancing pin for me and did a great cool. uh, poster for me. And then other than that, I'm just trying to, um, well, I did a new version of I Still Believe that has a lot more just sort of jamming on it and newer. Okay. Uh, newer and, um, and, you know, what we were talking about in terms of writing, uh, the the – you know, being like I said, sort of a trenches guy. I just, you know, I'm, yep. I'm out wherever I am, and I'm singing my favorite cover songs. And I yep. have a, I have a thing that I just love to do, which is to take crazy, you know, take tunes and see how you can twist them around. That's right. that's fun to me, and I just don't have to get into the whole writing thing, the existential okay. thing of the writing sure. dilemma. So, um, so, so my CD is going to be almost all covers. I may do one or two originals. Makes sense. Uh, there's a tune called Wiggle that I did with Ringo Starr.
version of that. And, okay. But other than that, it's just going to be sort of twisted stuff, uh, takes on maybe Screaming Jay Hawkins, Bob Dylan. Oh, cool. Just, okay. Yeah. Killer. Oh, that'll be fun. What's that? That'll be fun to finally have some Tim Capello out there for people to buy. I think it will be fun. And and so, um, I, you know, it's just sort of got me thinking. Doing sure. all these conventions and going out now. There's a couple of 80s clubs I'm going to play in August. Yeah. play one in Newark. Uh, what is it called? It's called... Oh man, I had it right here. But um, uh, there's a there's an '80s retro club in in uh, in uh, in Newark, New Jersey, and in August I'm gonna uh, oh cool the song there. They'll do a they'll probably okay, try to set some oil drums on fire and see. Yeah, what right, right. Oh, that's great. Cool, so man. If you, you know, if you find that I'm uh, suffer any. Second degree burns, you'll know. <laughs> That's where they're from. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Cool. Okay, well, and lastly, i got to ask you about Tina Turner. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there was, you were you were her right-hand sax man during the peak of her career, basically. I imagine you're flying around the world on private jets and playing in front of gigantic crowds. I mean, was your head just spinning? Were those just the salad days of your career? How do you look back on those days, those times? You know, you must know so many people that, that were on the road. I mean, and I was yeah. really on the road, right? Right. So, so I started on the road at about age 20, right? So I, mm-hmm. did, uh, I did a local guy who was touring around a lot. Then Billy Crystal, we toured around a lot. Then... Uh, then then Eric Carmen and then Garland Jeffries and then Peter Gabriel and then Carly Simon and a little break for the Kendalls and then right into Tina and then that didn't stop. And then on a couple of those little uh, breaks from her, I I did a couple of Ringo Starr tours. And and so it was, and when Tina tours, I mean, you know, she was setting herself up, God bless her. She was setting herself up, you know, for a lovely yeah. golden years, right? No kidding. So, so she could retire and you know do her I mean? own thing. And she knew how to work. Yeah. She could work. So she, the last tour I did with her was literally, I'm not joking, a year and a half. Oh, she my gosh. Up. We came home for Christmas, and I mean Christmas. When I say Christmas, I mean Christmas Day. Oh. And then we were back, you know, Lord knows where. So yeah. She really worked so hard, and the road is so hard, and it's it can make you really, really crazy. And when you stop taking drugs, then you really realize yep. how crazy it. You know, how, you're clean at that point, right? So you're experiencing all this sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, because you had gotten I, I clean in the that. early '80s, I think, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, 1980. Okay. 1980. Yeah. And wow. So before that, it was really a, a haze. But mm-hmm. after that, you know, it was it was a real it was a real kick in the head, though. 
because it had never happened to me before. All these Carly's tour got cut short. Eric's tour got cut short. You know, there was a lot of people sort of freaking out and not being able to tour. And then uh, when I got with her, she this was just before she broke. So mm-hmm. we were playing. I'm, I'm not lying to you. We were playing McDonald's conventions. That is insane. That's insane. And small little Australian casinos. And I mean, oh. you know, little tiny little things. Yeah. And, you know, a 20 minute set down in the hotel and come back up. Oh. And, oh, man. and it was like a lounge band. I mean, it really was. Yeah. It's, so that wasn't then, the sexy gig. That wasn't like the awesome gig at first. You're, it's it just a was. job at first. And then you were there when it exploded. It turned into a giant gig, right? It turned into a giant gig, yeah. But, you know, when you're a side man, I don't know. I keep hearing lots of horror stories about a lot of people. You don't make a lot of money. Yeah. Unless you get the perks of the travel and stuff, but probably not a lot of money in your own pocket. Steve Gadd or somebody who, you know, mm. these monster sidemen people, or unless there's somebody who is really known for being, you know, incredibly generous mm-hmm. there, Simon. The life of a sideman is not all that great. So I'm not going to tell you how much I was making during those really. Um, you know, incredible years for her. No, it that's okay. But I'm guessing you're, I mean, you are seeing the world and you're being pampered even if you're not taking home a, a gigantic check. Yeah. So you can't, you know, like it wasn't till I had been with her for maybe 13 or 14 years where you got these little raises and pay where oh, I fascinating. was able to actually afford like a, you know, a house. Oh, man. Wow, so shocking. Okay. It had been a lot uh, it had been a lot of years of yeah. just sort of squeaking by and uh, you know, even during that whole thing. Um, you know, I I always just lived in an apartment, uh, you know, in uh-huh. Hollywood, you know, in the crummy section of Hollywood or a bad section of Manhattan or something. Um, right. you know, it, it it definitely has never been that glamorous, but but after that tour that I told you about, was um, it was called uh, Wildest Dreams, the 96 mm-hmm. or 97. It was so long that I think I had more than a down payment just from my per diem. It, oh. it was such a long tour. Wow. <laughs> it is a huge pile of uh, 20. And, um, and, you know, and but then... No, right? You you've heard you've heard it many times. The road is so brutal. Yeah. That once I had like a nice little house and was mm-hmm. living someplace nice and quiet, and you know, uh, uh, found somebody I wanted to settle down with. Right. And that was uh, that was it. I couldn't do it anymore. Changed everything. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And you're, I mean, so tell me just a little bit about you personally. You're married. Do you have any kids? How long have you been married? Uh, well, I, I've known my wife for almost 20 years. Okay. But we just got married about a year and a half ago. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I know. I know. <laughs> Good for you. So no kids, I'm guessing, then? No kids. She, nope. has, two, she has two kids that are in there. Late oh, okay. Okay. 
So well, good. Uh, but no, I never, I never had any kids. I always was of that musician's mind. Sure. Like this is the life I've chosen, and I didn't. Uh, I wanted to devote everything to it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, look, this was so much fun. I want. I got to ask you one more question, though. What, when you look back on your career, what is just the most amazing memory that you have? When you sit there on a quiet day and you just think, I cannot believe this happened to me. What is that thing? The, 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 and it's not just one, but it's actually spending like four, five, six hours alone in a car with Billy Crystal. With Billy Crystal, really? Yeah, because I was I was his piano player. Right. And I was twenty years old and we'd have a gig in like uh Niagara Falls or down in D C and he'd just pick me up and we would go on these long trips and Goodness. I would be underneath the dashboard just continuously urinating. (laughs) Oh, I can imagine. Nothing nothing will ever be so much fun. Oh. Would you have had any guess, would you have ever guessed that he would become the legend that he is? Maybe you would have. I don't know. I mean, you know him better than most people. I... I, you know, I knew two things about him. I knew that he had a mind that was was just, you know, way above the average person in, in the way that he just, just naturally the circuits were working. And yeah. it, it was, you know, it was just such a gas to be around. But the thing that makes him a real legend you know, and and just one of the greats. And maybe he doesn't get enough credit, but it was one of the things that I knew right away. Because when I'd be sitting at a Chinese restaurant with him and a bunch of other comics, uh-huh. the testosterone yeah. running around that room, yeah. the cutting and just the ball sack that was yeah. just covering the table was... Yeah was really gross. And I believe it. He never had any of that. He was such really a, I haven't seen him in a real long time. Last time I saw him was when Tina played Saturday Night Live in in the late eighties. Okay. But but he never had that. And he consciously stayed away from it and I never heard him say a- anything mean as much as, you know, so much of comedy, and it's gotten more and more. Sure. It's put down, cutting people, you know, yeah. and it's really become, he never, ever Fascinating. had that in him. Fascinating. That's amazing. Yep. That's amazing. Oh, Tim, I could talk to you for hours, man. This is a, you're a legend in my mind. I am so, so grateful you talked to me. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. I can't even articulate how much it means to me. So, (laughs) thank you so much. 
There you have it, Tim Capello. Is he not the funniest, sweetest guy in the world? And I really loved what he was saying about how just because he has, he's buff and has a certain kind of pectoral muscles, that he should be making a certain kind of music when he's really just a softie. And I think that's so fun. I love that he told us that. Such a sweet man. I wanted to play here at the end one of Tina Turner's biggest hits from the 80s that he played on. In fact, shortly after I'm done talking here, you're going to hear a killer sax solo in this great hit, We Don't Need Another Hero. That's Tim. That's Tim playing right there. Next week, we are talking with another... 80s movie soundtrack legend, albeit uh, slightly more obscure, but it's a, it's a guy who had a song on a movie that is still beloved, just maybe to a smaller audience. So I hope you guys come back next week and check that out with us as well. Here's what I need you to do if this is the first time you're listening. Go in and subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Our last 50 episodes are in there. So go around, see if you find other guests that you recognize and check us out. This is what we do. We try to tell the stories of the great artists that don't get told as often because fame is fleeting. So you gotta hustle. And if you like it, write us a review. In fact, if you don't like it, write us a review too. That's fine too. You can like our page on Facebook. Stay in communication with me that way. If you think of anyone that you would like me to track down for you on the show, send me a message on Facebook or you can email me at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at the Hustle Pod. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makavich for everything he does putting this episode together. Join us next Tuesday. Every Tuesday we put out new episodes. We'll talk to you then. Bye, everybody. All else are